We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is not something we just want to talk about. Uh, The Holy Spirit is one we want to know. It's one we want to know. It's one we want to engage within with whom we want to engage every week. We've been working through this series called This Is Us um, and looking back over our history, 20 years, and uh, just looking at the themes or the defining moments that have shaped who we are as a people and who we have become over these years. And this morning, Derek and I want to bring you a message called a people, a, a spirit-filled people, that we as a people at Christ Community want to be a spirit-filled people. Now, you're probably aware of this, but in case you aren't, over the, over the years, and by years here, I'm not just talking about 20, I'm talking about centuries. Over the centuries, talk of the Holy Spirit has tended to stir things up in the church, uh, talk of the Holy Spirit has had a, a tendency to divide and to, uh, to tear people apart, which is really ironic if you think about it, right? Because one of the names of the Holy Spirit is Comforter. And one of the most profound teachings that we have on the Holy Spirit is in John 14, which was uh, given specifically to calm the troubled hearts of his disciples, and, and so when you begin to think about, you know, why is it that one who is called the comforter, one who was meant to calm troubled hearts, why is it that talk of the Holy Spirit has so often stirred up strife and controversy in the church? Well, I, I can think of two reasons right off the top of my head. This is especially obvious when you remember that the Holy Spirit is the very life-giving, life-transforming, life-empowering presence of Jesus Christ. There are two reasons that I can think of that would stir up that strife. And the first is my own flesh and your own flesh. You You see, our flesh is resistant to the Holy Spirit. Our flesh does not want to submit to God Our flesh wants to be God, right? And so your flesh and my flesh has a tendency to resist the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit often involves things that are unknown, unpredictable. And here's the key word, uncontrollable. And you see, our flesh loves control. It loves familiarity. It loves that which it can wrap its own heart around, own being around. And, and so the, the Holy Spirit is all of the things that our flesh resists. The Holy Spirit is one who will reign wherever he is present. The Holy Spirit is one who will move in ways that we don't always understand and can't always predict. And so our flesh tends to resist the Holy Spirit. And the second reason... If our flesh is resistant to the Holy Spirit, we have an enemy who is terrified of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is the living presence of Jesus Christ, who now sits at the right hand of God and reigns with power and authority over every created thing, then you can understand why our enemy is terrified of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I just want to say this morning that the Holy Spirit, I mean, that the enemy is not. Uh, afraid at all of nominal Christianity. The enemy never fears religion. 
What the enemy fears desperately is when the people of God are completely open to the power of the Holy Spirit moving and working in them and through them in ways that we could never do in our own strength. You see, the Holy, the, our enemy is not afraid of us. He is very much afraid of him. And when we are filled with his spirit, we become dangerous to the enemy. And so I think that's one of the reasons that we tend to see strife and confusion around the Holy Spirit because the enemy wants to stir it up and our flesh is very quick to go there and get consumed with anything that it doesn't understand and can't control. And when we end up in conflict, our our, our natural tendency is that we tend to go polar. And what I mean by that is that we tend to go to extreme positions. And when I think about the history of the Holy Spirit in the church, there are three polar reactions that I can think of that are just very obvious down through the centuries. The first one is what I would call, this is not necessarily uh, a historical thing, but this is what I would call it. Let's go to that slide uh, that's got the, uh, yeah. So the first one is charisphobia versus charismania. Charisphobia versus charismania. Um, Let me just start with charisphobia. There are some who deny on theological grounds that the Holy Spirit is active today the same way that he was in the early church. This comes out of a movement called dispensationalism. I'm not saying at all that everything in dispensationalism is wrong, but one of the tendencies of the dispensational movement is to lock the Holy Spirit into what it calls that particular age uh, during the life of Jesus and the apostles. And so that theology says that when the, the last apostle died, the Holy Spirit stopped moving and working the way he did during the life of Jesus and the apostles. Uh, we, we just want to say here very clearly that we do not believe that is a biblically sound position. We see nothing in God's Word that indicates anywhere that the Holy Spirit is not the same to yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is, and the Holy Spirit is His presence, and, and so we believe that the Holy Spirit does want to move in similar ways today as He did in the early church. Now, some have reacted against charisphobia, which tended to kind of relegate the Holy Spirit uh, to, to a secondary place in the Trinity. And, and so many of you have grown up in churches, quite frankly, that you didn't hear much about the Holy Spirit. You didn't hear a lot of teaching on the Holy Spirit. I mean, you understood that the Holy Spirit was a part of the Trinity, but you didn't hear a great deal about the Holy Spirit because if the Holy Spirit is not working today as he did back then, there's really not any reason to talk a whole lot about what he's doing, right? Some of us grew up in in just the opposite. We've grown up in um, movements that were reacting against charisphobia, but quite frankly became completely consumed with the Holy Spirit. And so everything was about the Holy Spirit, and there was a loss of balance in understanding the whole Word of God. So charismania has tended to produce the idea that every Christian ought to have the same kinds of spiritual experiences and ought to have the same spiritual gifts. There's this tendency when we begin to place a great deal of emphasis on experience to assume that everybody ought to have the same experience with God that I've had. And when we turn that into a doctrine, it loses biblical foundation. Because that's not what God's Word teaches. So let me just say here on this first 
pair, Christ's community says we reject both of those. We don't want to be, we don't want to be afraid of the Holy Spirit, and we're not going to box the Holy Spirit in and make him something that reflects our own experience. We're going to let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. Amen? So we say as a people, we don't want to fear anything of the Spirit, but we don't want to try to produce the appearance of spirituality in our own flesh. We desire authentic moves of God, not those that look like moves of God that we're able to produce ourselves. So that's where we stand on this first pair. The second is power versus purity. Now, this has a very distinct place in history, and it happened around the beginning of the 20th century, early 1900s. There was a huge debate about the nature and work of the Holy Spirit, where some said the Holy Spirit is largely about power. This is biblical, right? Uh, Acts 1.8, you will receive power, the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And so this group of people put a great deal of emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit and the the experiences of spiritual power. Uh, and, and, And they were arguing that that's what the Holy Spirit is really about. There was another group of people that said, but wait a second. The, whole, the Bible talks about the fact that the, one of the key results of the Spirit-filled life is that our character is changed to look more and more like Jesus. And so the real evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit is not the gifts of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit wants to change our character and make us look more and more like Jesus. Now, just I don't want to get too much into history here, but I'll just tell you in short, the two sides could never come to agreement, and so they decided to split and go their separate ways, and the church has been suffering ever since. Because in this case, we don't reject both, we embrace both. And we say the Holy Spirit is, is about both power and purity. And that if you remove one of those, you have a great distortion of who the Holy Spirit is and what he's about. That we want to be a people who are empowered and also being made pure. This is not a choice. It's a both and. The third third pairing here is word versus spirit. Word versus spirit. Uh, there has, this is one that's probably a little more r- recent in church history. But there is a tendency for some to focus purely on the Word of God, the Bible, as the only way in which God communicates or speaks to His people. Now, we absolutely believe that the Bible is the inspired, authoritative Word of God. Uh, we, it is our authority, and we also believe that the Holy Spirit would never speak anything that is contradictory or adds to God's Word. But we would say that the Spirit longs to speak to us today words that make this word come alive for us right now. That we want to be a people who are always listening for how the Holy Spirit wants to make the word come alive for this present moment. And so we are always learning and we're trying to learn how to listen to the Spirit through His word, but also directly as the Spirit speaks to us. When you look at the pages of the Word, that God is constantly trying to speak to His people, to lead them in specific ways. 
We believe he still longs to do that. He will do it through his word and by his spirit. Those two things are not contradictory. They ought to be held together. So we would say boldly, we are neither charismatics or charismaniacs. We are both power and purity and word and spirit. This is who we long to be as a people here at Christ Community. These are, uh, when, uh, th- th- this is really just meant to help you to understand some of the history of the movement of, of the Holy Spirit and how he's worked here. You know, I, I just want to say before I turn it over to Derek, because he's going to come and talk to us specifically about the nature and work of the Holy Spirit. I want to say to us that one of the things I love the most is the diversity in our body related to our backgrounds on this issue. Now, does it create, does it mean that we get stretched? When we're with people who've come from different backgrounds, we get stretched in all ways, right? I'll never forget in a, in a getting started class years ago, we, we had two people sitting side by side, and uh, one of them was from another country, but this one said, uh, said you know, I, I love this church, but sometimes it feels a little bit like Las Vegas, well, the person, what she was saying there is it, fe- it can feel a little bit wild and crazy sometimes at Christ Community. The person right next to her had come from a Pentecostal background and looked at her and said, I don't know what you're talking about, but this is one of the quietest churches I've ever been in. And, and I love that there were two people sitting there together having the same experience, uh, having radically different experiences. One was stretching the other and the other was stretching the one. And what I long for and what I pray will always be our story is that we will never put God or any part of the Trinity into into our own boxes, but that we will always be saying, Lord, come. We want to die to our flesh that resists you, and we want to be a people that scare the you-know-what out of the enemy. Amen? Because we are filled with his spirit. Amen. Derek's going to come and talk to us about the specific work of the Holy Spirit, how he moves and works in us as his, as his people. The work of the Holy Spirit. You know, when I just, I'm still kind of just really in the moment of worship. You know, we, we really got to a place there that I feel that we really felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. Anybody feel that besides me? Could you feel the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit? And, and you know, that's, that's a great way to even begin talking about the work or the roles of the Holy Spirit, which is what my assignment is is here for the next few minutes. And first of all, we have to declare that he is a person. We're not talking about a theory. We're not talking about some philosophical um, construct. We're talking about the third person of the Trinity. You know, evidence, we get evidence of that from the very beginning of our, of our book. When it, when it says clearly that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Ruach, God himself, the Spirit of God was hovering over this chaos. And then the rest of the book is how he enters into the story to bring order out of the chaos. Holy Spirit is real. It is the actual presence of God the manifest presence of God in our lives. And you know what? 
when that manifest presence of God comes and arrives in our lives, situations change. Things can't remain the same. This is the Holy Spirit that we're referring to today. We were talking about the roles of the Holy Spirit, the role of the roles, either way you want to say it or think of it. But first is simply his presence. The presence. He is present. He is here. He resides with us. He is in us. He is with us. He comforts us. He advocates for us. Keith referred earlier to, to Jesus uh, comforting the disciples. And we see this in John, the 14th chapter of John. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to John 14? We're going to look at this briefly. But in this, because I think it's important that we look at Jesus' words as he talks about the one that was going to come. And, and to set it up, because the setting is everything. Remember, let's, let's, get, let's get the context here. Jesus had been teaching and preaching and healing with these disciples for three years, and now it's coming toward the end of his time, and the disciples didn't quite know what to do or what to expect. And they were here in this upper room, and he had washed their feet. He had predicted that one would betray him. Judas had betrayed and, and left out. Peter had made that bold statement, and, and Jesus reminded him, told him he was going to deny him three times. And then here we find, and we're going to pick it up at verse number 16. Look, look with me at verse 16. And I, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He goes on further. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. The presence, the presence of God himself, the presence of all the work of Christ residing in us. The role of the Holy Spirit is to be present with his people. Before I move on, let me ask a question. Are you experiencing his presence? I didn't ask you, did you experience it? I asked you, are you experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? As I go through these, I just want to say something to us. You know, as we go through this, I think the Holy Spirit is working even now. Even now, as, I, as the thoughts form in my head, as the words come out of my mouth, the Holy Spirit is working even now. And, and don't, don't wait. If, 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 you, if we come to a question and you, can, you can't answer that question in the affirmative, I, I say just check out. Just, just go ahead and just start speaking to him right now. And he'll come. He'll come right now. Are you experiencing his presence in your life? The second role that I, I like to touch on this morning is Holy Spirit has the role of bringing purity into our lives. You see, the Holy Spirit transforms our character. 
He transformed it in a way to reflect the character of Jesus. Jesus is our standard. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one in which we want to model and pattern our lives after. And the Holy Spirit is the one that makes that possible in our lives. He convicts the world of sin. He reveals the world's sins. We see that in John 16. And when we repent and allow Jesus to become Lord of our lives, you know, we have that theological term we call justification happens where we're declared righteous. You know, I know we get nervous about that sometimes when people start talking about righteous and calling us saints. We say, well, you don't know who, you know, yeah, I know. Our condition is different than the position that he's declared. But then that's where the, that's where the Holy Spirit goes to work. The Holy Spirit goes to work because he starts this process we call sanctification, purifying us, purifying us. And, and we see this, Paul, Paul, I just want to, Take us to a passage of scripture that I think just gets to the heart of this. It's in Galatians. Galatians 5. Let's start at verse number 16 there. Galatians 5, verse number 16. What we're going to read here is, is, is really the great tension between our flesh and, and, the, and what the Holy Spirit desires to, to form in us, the purity in which the Holy Spirit wants to be to have in our lives, the character that he wants to form in us. Listen how it goes. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. Anybody, that sound familiar to anybody? Amen? They, they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Then he goes ahead and starts getting, getting deep into it. He starts really clarifying it because he starts to the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, self or selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Before I go further, and you say, well, it's a lot of those stuff, a lot of the things I don't, I don't do. Was well, any one of them that you do struggle with? Any one that you find in your life, jealousy or envy? Is that something you find in dissensions among you? See, the Holy Spirit wants to purify from, from, us, from all of those things. And then as, 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 as Paul goes further, he, he, he flips it over to the other side. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit, and here we go, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, the, you get the picture? In our flesh, living by our flesh, living by the desires of our flesh, we have that first list of things, you know, those things too horrible to think about, too horrible to even consider, but yet we struggle with. But this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. He wants to bring us to the character of Jesus Christ by, by bringing this fruit into our lives, that fruit forming and maturing in our lives. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. So here's a question for you. Is there any part of your life that you have made off limits to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit? Any part of your life? 
Are there dissensions, you know, trouble between you and others that you just say, I'm not going, you know, I'm going to hold on to this. I'm not going to let this go. Envy because you think somebody else has has got something that you should have and you you just can't get past it. Is there anything in your life that you've made off limits to the Holy Spirit? Or maybe I ask it like this. Are there any fleshly fleshly desires that you are stubbornly holding on to? The third role of the Holy Spirit is power. Because he empowers us to live a holy life. Because, see, once he purifies us, he begins. And this this work is, you know, as we talk about this, it's not like it's just done and we just move on because it's an ongoing process. This work of sanctification doesn't end until we get to something called glorification, and that doesn't happen on this side of heaven. You know that, don't you? But that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. So this this is an ongoing process. So if you think you have, well, I, I struggle here, don't worry. He is patient. He's going to keep working at it as long as we allow him to, as long as we give him access to our lives. He will continue, the Holy Spirit will continue to purify us until we start to look, act, think, and operate like Jesus Christ. And and yes, we're not there, but if we just just keep allowing him to, one day we will be there. And yes, you know, he'll say, well, I'll be glad when that day gets here. I'm I'm just glad that the day is promised to us and it will come. It will come. But this power, this power, he empowers us to live this holy life and, he, and exercise spiritual gifts. Because, see, the essence of, of the Holy Spirit, the essence of all this that we're talking about is transformation. Because when the power of God is present, something is transformed. Acts 1.8, the beginning of it says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And just before you, you go too far with that, or we go on the wrong direction, this power has a definite purpose. And it's not just for me. Because, see, when we go to 1 Corinthians, again, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7. Because as we are purified, and I think there's a correlation between of the purification that we allow God, to, the Holy Spirit to make in our lives and the gifts that he gives us. I think, I think once we allow him to really start to purify in our lives, then, he, then gifts start, he, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. But the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Gifts of the Spirit. Different than fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about now gifts of the Spirit. Further down in in that same book, starting in verse 11. And all these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. He gives us gifts. 
Now, I skipped between, you know, he, he kind of describes some gifts in Corinthians, but I skipped that purposely because there are other references to the gifts, and we just wanted to bring all the gifts and just one, just, 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 just list them out for you. As we allow God, the Holy Spirit, as we allow the Holy Spirit to purify us from all this unrighteousness in our lives, he gives us gifts, and these are the gifts that you see displayed. This is what he adds to us. Gifts that he gives us so that we can operate in this world in which we live. So that we can further his kingdom. Because that's what it's ultimately all about. It's about his kingdom being proclaimed. And that's our role. And I, I won't go through all. You can, you, you can read them. You might, you might want to take a, 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 a picture of that. Go back and look at them for yourselves. And you know what? I'll go even one better. Because I'm saying, okay, I see all that, but where, where do I see the evidence of it for myself? I give time for people to take that picture. Go ahead. Get it quick now. Get it quick. We're going to move on. <laughs> and, 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 and don't forget now, these are, these are gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us as he determines. And then if you want to read more, if you want to see the context in which they're found, here are the scriptures that you can, that you can go back and research for yourself where you can find all these gifts as they are talked about in Scripture. But here's the question. Do you understand that God desires to give you gifts? Not just for you to have and play with, but gifts so that you can fulfill, fulfill a specific function in his body. Every one of us, every one of us in this room God desires to give you gifts. And I won't say gift singular, I would say plural. Those 21 gifts that you saw on the screen just a few seconds ago, he desires to give you those gifts so that you can take your unique place within the body and serve him. I know. You say, well, I, I, I hear you and I want to know more about that. I, I don't understand how that operates. I don't understand, you know, if I have the gift, what does it look like? Which one is really a gift? Glad you asked. September 16th, gifted to serve. That's what it's all about. It's an it's a, it's a experience designed to help us understand how God has uniquely designed us and how we can serve in the body of Christ. The last role that I would speak of this morning is the role of the Holy Spirit is the passion for the lost. Because just like it's not all just for us to get these, these um, fruit of the Spirit so that we can just be fat and happy, but no, we, he, he has these gifts to us, and ultimately it is so that we can, we can go out and we can share this with others. A passion for the lost. Back to Acts 1.8. This is where we see it so clearly laid out. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts, the entire, all 28 chapters of it, commonly referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, I would say that we can make a case that it could be also, it's also known as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because when you look at that book, and you read that book, you see how Jesus left the scene, and he told them to go wait on the one that was going to come. And when the Holy Spirit came, look what happened. 
the gospel began to spread throughout the land, from the Jews to the Gentiles, and it's still spreading to this very day through you and I. That is what we are tasked to do. That's what we are to do. And, and to close this, I, I was just thinking about this earlier, and, and God just reminded me, turn to the end of the book of Acts. And if you have your Bible, I, I invite you, turn with me to the end of the book of Acts. And, and look how it ends. Paul. Paul, under Roman authority, under, under captivity by the Romans, he writes these final words in verse number 31. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. My final question to you this morning is this. Are you proclaiming? Are you proclaiming the kingdom of God? Are you, are you teaching others about the Lord Jesus Christ? And are you doing so with boldness and without hindrance? If any part of that question you answer in the negative, I would say to us, the Holy Spirit is available and willing and ready to help us to be bold and to erase all hindrances so that we can proclaim the truth about his kingdom. Keith is going to come back to us. He's going to talk a little bit more about how we can practically live this out. Thank you, Derek. So very quickly, here's, here's the, uh, the final question. How do we apply everything we're talking about today? What does it actually look like to live out all these things we've been talking about this morning. What does it mean for us to live in the presence of the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with his power, to be transformed and purified by his presence? What does it mean for us to be in? How do we do that? What does that look like in everyday life? Because I want to be very clear here this morning that this is not just something that happens on Sunday morning in a church building. God desires for us to be filled with His Spirit continually. Let me take us to one key scripture, Ephesians 5, uh, 18. Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot in this, and I don't have time to get into it all this morning, but I do want to emphasize one part. When it says, be filled with the Spirit... That is spoken in the Greek present tense, which means continuous action. Not something that's been completed and done, but something that is constant. So the most accurate translation would hear, here would be, be being filled with the Holy Spirit all the time. When you hear people talk about the, the filling of the Holy Spirit as, as an event that happened at some point in their life, there's a lack of understanding of what it actually means. It is a constant life um, of being constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. And I love the fact that Paul compares this, uh, con compares and contrasts it with being drunk with wine. Why in the world would he use that example? Why would he compare the spirit-filled life with something that we don't often think of it as a, being associated at all with a spirit-filled life? Uh, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but do be filled with the spirit. What, is the, what are the comparisons between those two things? I think it's really obvious when you think about it that one who is drunk with wine is under the influence or control of wine. That's why we call it a DUI, right? 
um, you're under the influence of wine. Well, to be filled with the Spirit is to be under the influence or control of the Holy Spirit in every part of our lives. That's what it means to be filled. Now, I want to just very briefly, in closing, use an illustration that I think is one of the best I've ever seen at illustrating the Spirit-filled life. It was shared with us by Mark Nicewander last year in our Call to Awakening. Let me, let me just walk you through this. Think of your life as a house. And your life, your being, consists of three separate parts. You are body, soul, and spirit. You have a spirit, you have a body, and you have a soul. Now, biblically, when you begin to break down the idea of the soul, that your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. So this represents your whole being, your body, mind, will, emotions, and spirit. Now, our body is a fleshly thing that is bound to this world, and so our bodies allow us to interact with the physical world. And so uh, our bodies enable us to uh, require shelter, food, clothing, relationships, work, money, entertainment. All of those things relate to the physical world, and our body is what enables us to connect to the physical world. On the other side of the house... Our spirit is what enables us to connect with the spiritual world. And so our spirit opens us to the things of God, to spiritual life and power and miracles. It is our spirit that opens us to the spiritual realm. Now, we do need to understand that when we are prior to being saved, our spirits are dead. Our our spirits do not have life. Salvation brings spiritual life when the Holy Spirit moves into our spirit, breathes life, and our spirit comes alive. But I want to say this morning that that is not the end of the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit does not just want to breathe life into your spirit and make it alive, but the Holy Spirit wants to reign in every part of your house. In every part of your house. This is what it means to be spirit-filled. Now you see the the opposite of that. Go back to the last uh, slide for just a second. The opposite of this, and, and we all have a tendency to do this. So let's just confess it and be authentic here this morning. Our tendency is to create a com- a compartment where the Holy Spirit lives. You know, you've got a closet. You've got a place where you put the Holy Spirit, and you go into the closet, you deal with the Holy Spirit, but then you come out and you're going into the world or wherever you're going, and the Holy Spirit is supposed to stay nice and calm and, 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 and stay in His place in the Holy Spirit room, right? That's what our flesh wants. Our flesh says, I don't mind if the Holy Spirit comes into the house. Just don't let Him have the whole place. The Holy Spirit says, if I am Lord, I'm going to be Lord of all. I'm going to come after every part of your life. But let me, let me remind us of this. He is not coming after every part of your life to destroy it, but to give it life. You see, that's what the enemy lies to you about constantly. The Holy Spirit wants to take control so that he can rob you of that which you enjoy. What the scripture says is this, the Holy Spirit has come to set you free from that which is destructive so that you can live for that which is life-giving. 
So the Holy Spirit wants every part of your house. My question in closing this morning is, what is the state of your spiritual house? Has the Holy Spirit even come in? Have you experienced that initial work of salvation where you have confessed your sin and you've asked the Holy Spirit to come in and to reign in your life? And since he came in, have you released control of the whole house or are you still hanging on to parts of it where you say, Lord, you can have this, but you can't have that? I want to tell you this morning that your enemy is trying to rob you of the fullness of the life of God. And I just want to, as we close this morning, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on out. But as they come, I want to ask you to do something bold this morning. And I want to ask you that if you were here this morning and you would say, Pastor Keith, there, I need for the Holy Spirit to fill my house. I need for every part of my house to come under the Spirit's reign. I want to ask you this morning if you would just stand right where you are as a, as a declaration of yes. I don't want a house that just has a Holy Spirit room. I want my whole house to be reigned over by the Holy Spirit. Now, Father, as you look over this congregation, Lord, you see us standing here today. Lord, we don't want to just keep your Holy Spirit in the pages of theology. We don't want to just understand in our mind only what your Holy Spirit is all about. We want your Holy Spirit to reign over our minds, our will, our emotions, yes, even our bodies. And so, Lord, I ask you now as we stand, Lord, let this be a declaration to you that you are welcome in this place. You are welcome in the place of our spiritual house. And you are welcome into every part of it. Lord, we long to be a people who are filled with your spirit. And so, Lord, come and reign over every part of our house. We declare it and we proclaim it in Jesus' name.